Greetings to all of you in the worthy name of our blessed Lord and Savior, the one which is, which was, and is to come. Are we ready for when he comes? That's the important question. We also bring you greetings from the Woodlawn Congregation in Ontario. Glad to have the presence of another Canadian. Makes me feel a little more comfortable. So I'm not with foreigners only. Um, but really, when we think of it, we aren't foreigners to each other, are we? If we all belong to the heavenly kingdom. And it doesn't matter what country we represent, earthly country, but it is of utmost importance what whether we can represent the heavenly country. I could hardly believe it was that long ago that we were here for a week, but I guess dates don't lie. And when I thought back, then yes, a lot of things have transpired since that time we were here. Stayed with Sam and Frida that time, and so um, they're no longer here either. Time moves on. We go from one generation to the next. While I was sitting here this morning, I thought, you know, we were born, then there's a long dash, and we die. But the important thing is, what are we going to do in that time frame of the dash? That is so important. I often think of that when I walk through a cemetery. That's the way it is on most grave markers. Born such and such a day, dash, died. You know, God is very concerned, is very interested. How we conduct ourselves, what choices we make while in that dash. And it behooves all of us to avail ourselves of the blessed privilege and opportunity we have because our merciful Father in heaven provided for us that we can have our souls in a right relationship with him so that we can die and have the promise of going to be with him in glory. These Sunday school lessons are rather thought-provoking. And I appreciated the discussion you as adults had. And last Sunday morning, as we had introduction to the Sunday school lesson, I said that this thing of non-resistance has a far, far broader dimension than what I'm afraid many so-called uh, um, followers of Anabaptist teaching 
really realize. Oh yes, we wouldn't go to war. We wouldn't take up arms and fight. No, that's far from us. But brethren and sisters, it comes down to some real practical areas of Christian living that I'm afraid we have a generation and maybe I should say generations growing up that don't really realize how non-resistance affects our everyday walk of life. I'm distressed at times of the bickering and the fighting that goes on in some very conservative circles. And yet we claim to be non-resistant. My Bible says that if I have hatred in my heart for my brother, I'm no better off than a murderer. So this morning, my thoughts were drawn to a passage of Scripture, a very familiar one in the Hebrew letter, the 12th chapter. And all you Bible readers are acquainted with the 12th chapter of Hebrews, where it speaks there of chastening and how that whom the Lord loveth, he he chasteneth. And then we get down to... Uh, verse 14 through 17 and that's where I would like to focus on this morning for the message Hebrews 12 14 through 17 follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. That's where we'll stop reading this morning. I believe there's more than enough there for us to cover this morning and to uh, stimulate our thoughts. My prayer and desire this morning is that all of us would just take time to take a a good inward look into our hearts. Where am I? Never mind who's beside you, but just take a good inward look. This this thing of, of bitterness is what I'm feel led to speak on this morning. In fact, it says root of bitterness. This thing of bitterness is something that is below the surface. And 
it's not so easily recognized for what it is. And I believe it can be there for a long time until the opportunity is just right for that bitterness to, to give a bit of an expression of what is really done in here. I uh, read a story some time ago and I, I'm not sure I can get everything straight anymore. But it was concerning a, a certain family. I believe they lived in California, but that's not, not that important. And they seemed to constantly be sick. Various family members, they, they just didn't feel good. Children lost their appetites and just sort of picked at their food. And the father came home each evening and he just felt pushed, just really whipped. He, he had no energy, was getting more irritable, and uh, mother felt draggy and run down. They took vitamins and forced themselves to uh, eat nourishing meals, yet they weren't hungry. So they went on weeks after week and the condition just seemed to be getting worse so what did they do at last they, they decided well we'll need to go and have some blood tests taken and uh, so they went to the hospital and uh, the physician even was very perplexed as what is going on where could the poisoning be coming from Yes, the blood test revealed that they had lead poisoning. Lead poisoning. Well, lead poisoning, where in the world would, would that be coming from? And uh, as it was, in the end it turned out that they had bought a earthenware pitcher while they vacationed in Mexico. It was a Souvenir they had bought in, in Mexico and the inside enamel had not been properly uh, baked and the acid from the juices that they put into this, this pitcher every, for every breakfast was gradually seeping out of the, the vessel and into their juices and led to lead poisoning every breakfast they took their dose of lead poisoning I'm using that illustration to sort of uh, as an example of bitterness in the soul can be like lead poisoning in that earthen pot. Hard to see, but all the time there. Poisoning our words, our thinking, and our attitudes and actions.
Now bitterness comes in many forms. One person can be bitter about one thing, another person bitter about another thing. But most bitterness, I believe, comes under at least one of four classifications. Bitter towards people, bitter towards the church, bitter towards uh, life itself in general, and bitter towards God. I don't want to necessarily say which one is the worst, but I think bitterness is bitterness regardless who it is aimed at. I believe God allows things in our lives for which you and I have absolutely no explanations for. But mark it down, I believe that God doesn't do things and allows things haphazardly in our lives I think he has a reason and a purpose for what he does a lot. I met a man after my first wife was killed in a traffic accident. I met a man. And this man, he was so bitter because of what happened in his life, for which he had no explanation whatsoever. And I tried to tell him that I believe that God orders our lives and what comes into our lives. He will also give us the grace to bear what comes and to accept it as from God. He could not. He could not understand how a man could take a position like that. Well, I believe even though I don't understand all the things that that God allows and does with different people, I don't think Job understood that if you read the book of Job, he couldn't understand, but he could say that... uh, um, hmm, Now it's gone, but something to the effect that uh, the Lord tries him, and when he comes forth, he shall come forth as gold. So God bless Job for, for the view he had on life. Some are bitter about people. Oh, he wronged me, she wronged me. Who hasn't heard those words? I think they ring with bitterness where people have misunderstandings, disagreements, and fallouts, there is fertile soil for bitterness to spring up. While it may be true, someone wronged you, or someone wronged me. But are we doing right to become bitter? The attitude that I choose to take toward Whatever, that lies with me. I choose what attitude I'm going to take towards this. 
If you take the attitude that I'm going to forgive him whatever, matter settled. You won't, you won't feel bitter in your heart. But if you start to build up those feelings that uh, I was dealt a dirty, dirty deal and this and that and the other thing wasn't right, you're probably setting yourself up for bitterness. And I mentioned bitter about the church. Well, <laughs> the church misused me. Oh, yeah. The ministers have their, their pets. Other people in the church get by with things I can't get by with. Oh, there's so many dictators in the church, you know. Those who feel bitter about the church often show it by refusing to cooperate. They may threaten to change their membership, decide to stop attending, refuse to go along with communion, set themselves against anything the church is for. Bitter about life. Oh, I get all the bad luck. Nothing ever works out for me. Everything goes wrong. Life is unfair. You know, that's a tune of those who are bitter at life. And I say too many times, it is the easy way out for people who cannot admit their own failures and who need something to blame them on. Well, I want to look at Hebrews 12, 14 to 17, to see what we can learn about dealing with pain suffering if you want to call it that being treated unfairly so that we can maybe better avoid the tragedy of being overwhelmed by bitterness <clears throat> first of all it says in Verse 14, follow peace with all men and holiness. Follow peace with all men and holiness. This tells me what my focus must be at all times. To follow peace with men and holiness. Holiness towards God. And we need to notice that this is given in the context, within the context of dealing with bitterness. And I, I, I struggled with that for a while. How, how does this relate together? But I think there's some very good foundational admonition here for us so that we don't go down the path of bitterness and mind you the command is, is in very very strong language it says without pursuing without peace and holiness no man shall see the Lord no man if we don't have peace with our fellow men 
And if we don't live a holy life, we're not going to see the Lord. So there's no exceptions to this requirement. But you know, when I am struggling and when we are struggling, we are tempted to think that somehow this is a special case. And I'm, I'm, I'm justified in, in getting hurt and acting irresponsibly but the Bible says the penalty for not uh, following peace and holiness is to be barred from the presence of the Lord and that dear people is serious that is serious since this command is given within the context of suffering and dealing with bitterness I believe God intended for us to keep these two goals in focus constantly. We need to keep these two goals in focus when we are in the midst of severe tests and trials. So first of all, we need to be committed to follow peace and holiness. And I know it's not easy to follow peace with others when we think we have been unjustly treated. Suffering for perceived wrongs against us has a way, you know, of sharpening our emotions and embittering our spirits. Giving in to bitterness or resentment is contrary to the command to pursue peace with all men, even with the offenders. And I say again, the key commandment of pursuing peace with others is choosing to forgive offenses choosing to forgive offenses and then demonstrate the spirit of forgiveness. Sometimes we say with our mouth we forgive but really our actions don't quite support what we're saying. Now along with the pursuit of peace with others is the pursuit of holiness to the Lord. God calls us to holiness in the midst of trial. And that takes a crucifying of the flesh. Crucifying of self. Crucifying of fleshly responses. doesn't come easy. Self likes to raise up and rise up and express itself and when self 
rises up and expresses itself, it's not very pretty. Holiness involves separating our lives from sinful, bitter reactions and becoming more Christ-like in our behavior when the temptation is strong to do otherwise. I think there's a connection and a balance in these two objectives. We cannot be holy before the Lord while being mean-spirited and bitter towards others. And we cannot be at peace with others at the expense of holiness to the Lord. So I say there, there needs to be a balance here. And God has designed these two objectives will give us a proper balance and perspective through those difficult times, both in our relationship to him and in our relationship with others. Verse 15. Look diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness bringing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. So mark it down. A bitter root will bear bitter fruit. While we follow peace and, and holiness, the channel of God's grace, I believe, will, will open into our lives and open unto us that we can, we can endure mistreatment. We can go through difficult experiences in life that are, are really hard for us to, to walk through. And I, I can relate some to you that, that I have personally experienced, but by the grace of God, we can. If we say it can't be done, we're diminishing the power and grace of God that is extended to us, that is made available to us. So may we avail ourselves of the grace of God. Without the grace of God, we won't recognize God's sovereign right to bring us into difficulty. That takes the grace of God. He has every right to do that. He's a high and a holy God. He is one that has, has all rights to do and bring in, into our lives whatever he chooses. And he knows what is best for us. These sometimes are things we would rather steer away because, because it's so unpleasant. It's partly what brings me, me to this portion of scripture this morning. I, since I, we're at Bible school, I've, I've had the opportunity to, to read two books that I found in, in the library there at uh, Maranatha. And the one was uh, Evangelists in Chains. And the other one is faith despite the KGB. And I don't know if, if, if you have all read those books. I do not have them in my library at home. But I was tremendously challenged by those two books. 
men of past generations who would not deny their faith and went through, through horrible hardships. They seen it as, as, as God's timing and God's purpose to bring them into these prisons and be in damp, cold conditions, almost freezing at times, yet they would not deny their Lord. They seen it as an opportunity, as a door that God has brought them to, to minister to the rest of the prisoners, and many were converted because of it, because of the attitude that they had. What impression are we making in our community? What impression are we leaving in our community? Do the people sense a bitter spirit within us? Are we just ready to, to try and lash out at, at our neighbors, at our whoever we meet? Or are we a people that have a genuine love for the soul of everyone that we meet? God loves every last one of them. In faith, despite the KGB, I was tremendously moved by that book because it's more recent for number one. And what really stood out to me was this. These men were not all of Anabaptist background. There were about four or five different denominations represented in the prison at one time. And the KGB, the men that incarcerated them, they purposely put those different men together in one cell. Because they thought that there might be enough differences between these different denominations that they would sort of get behind each other and, and, and destroy each other's faith. But it didn't work that way, praise God. They were united enough on the basics of the word of God that they stood together. And the forces of evil that were trying to destroy them couldn't do it. Thank God. takes the grace of God in affliction. Yes, it does. takes the grace of God to love in the midst of trial. It takes the grace of God to be at peace with our fellow men and our circumstances. And it takes the grace of God to accept his purposes in our lives. Without the grace of God, we cannot follow peace with all men. And we will not live lives of holiness. It takes the grace of God. We had some discussion here in the Sunday school class of why. Seems we are sort of a living in a shielded generation, aren't we? Either the world has sort of accepted us as what we are and who we are, or we have accepted the world too much. And therefore, 
we don't experience more opposition. But I would totally agree with the brother who, I forget who said, if you go on the street corner and you would start to minister and speak against gays and lesbians, that that is a life that God does not endorse. Or if you would talk about all the, the babies that are being destroyed in North America before they're ever born, you would discover pretty soon how well you're appreciated. But brethren and sisters, I believe that by God's grace, he would help us if we would be a little more bold to speak at times. Notice the two warnings we have been given in our text with the word lest. Lest any man fail of the grace of God. So the possibility is there, isn't it? To fail of the grace of God. God help us that we don't fail of the grace of God lest any root of bitterness that's the end result of not properly dealing with our hurts and experiences in life notice also that the root of bitterness troubles who? you who has bitterness that's who it troubles. It troubles the embittered person. Now I believe it affects a person's whole outlook on life, casts a shadow of discouragement or resentment over their thinking patterns and their smoldering anger prevents them from fully enjoying beautiful things that God has given to us. But if bitterness continues to be there, it eventually takes over the whole life unless it is pulled out by the root. We have a terrible weed at home in Ontario About five years ago, I moved from my former residence when Sadie and I were married. We moved to this new community. And in the former place where I lived, we had a, a weed that was also very hard to control. And then we got over to this location and it was a weed that I, I, I couldn't identify. It was a strange one to me. But I should back up. <laughs> we, uh, we moved there in December, and so the first spring 
when the flower beds started to to thaw out and the flowers came up through, you know, and uh, all of a sudden we've seen all these other other uh, plants coming and, well, is it something the former owners planted or is this something that should be removed? We didn't remove them. And come June, we uh, still spared those other plants and we left for a six-week trip to Alaska. And when we got home, I tell you, it was a mess. We tried anything and everything to, to kill that terrible weed. I put some, some Roundup on. It didn't even seem to affect it too much. Other leaves might curl up a little bit, but then you'd try to, to uh, work it up. But it's a weed that if, if there's a short piece of weed left that is going to sprout up again and the only way we found to get rid of that weed is to literally go down your hands and knees and pull it out by the root then you can work and get things cleaned up now we found out since that it's called wild morning glory and I tell you it's no glory to have that stuff and I would suggest to you that if we have bitterness in our hearts, it's a wild... <laughs> no, I'm not going to use glory. But it's a wild root that the only way that you can get rid of is to pull it out by the root and that is to genuinely repent of it. I, I'm sorry I, I'm using that strong language, but I'm convinced that's the only way to deal with it. But you know, so often, oh, we, we spray a little bit of here and a little bit there, and we think, this is going to take care of it. Mark it down. You're not going to deal with that bitterness in your heart unless you repent of it. Well, Well, I think you put it on fast time. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay, well, I'm sorry. I, I'm not near done, but uh, I, I'll try to bring this to a conclusion as soon as I can. Now, it's interesting to me that the writer of Hebrews here gives us an example of bitterness. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Well, you all know the story of Jacob and Esau, don't you? I'm sure you do, and I, I, was, I would go back into Genesis and read all that, those accounts, but time will not allow me. I, I trust you all know the story that well, how that Esau, he, he, he uh, 
what's the word I want? He, he sort of despised his birthright. I think that's the term it uses. He despised his birthright and he sold to Jacob for a bowl of soup with a chunk of meat in it, I guess. Why did he do that? Did Jacob get Esau, catch him at an unguarded moment and he was just terribly hungry? Is that what was all that was going on? No, it says that, that uh, Esau was a profane person. So, a, a profane person, he, he doesn't value the uh, things that pertain to God, things that pertain to, to the spiritual well-being of, of the family, anything, anything spiritual and holy, that, that means very little such a person and it says he sold it to Jacob and I find it interesting that it doesn't seem that that um, the parent or the father knew of that transaction of Jacob buying the birthright off of Esau but you know, when, when Esau came back, you know, he, he went to get, went hunting, and in the meantime, Jacob made that, that bowl of, of uh, pottage. And then when Esau came back, he came back and he told his father, I'm here now, and uh, Jacob said, who are you? Oh, I'm Esau. And then he he cried bitter tears or cried bitterly because Jacob had stolen his birthright. Now, I, when you read the Genesis account, I, I never detect that Esau regretted having sold the birthright to Jacob but what he did regret it comes out clearly that he just pled with his father that don't you have one blessing yet for me he didn't want to lose out on the blessing but he didn't really care for the birthright with which were some responsibilities added to it oh that sounds a little familiar too doesn't it some people want all the blessings that God has for in store for his people, but they want no responsibilities. And that, that's partly too why I think he was a profane person. Anyways, he cried because he did not receive the blessing. And I believe, you can correct me if I am wrong, but I believe it was because of the loss of the blessing that made Esau a very bitter man. You can check it out if I'm wrong. Now you say, yeah, but weren't they reconciled then when, when uh, Jacob was returning back to Canaan, you know? And uh, he met Esau. And Jacob was rather fearful then of meeting Esau, what he might do, because he knew that he wanted to get 
a hold of his neck when he left. So, he got a lot of gifts ready for, for Esau when we meet, and he broke up his, his, all his family in different groups and so on and so forth. And then he met Esau. And it says that they wept on each other's shoulder. Jacob wept, Esau wept. Now my Bible says in the center column that that was reconciliation between Jacob and Esau. I wish that was the way it was. And I'll go on to say that if that is what happened, then Esau neglected to pass on to his oncoming generation that the relationship between me and Jacob has been resolved. Everything's behind us and we love each other and we embrace each other and we appreciate each other. But brothers and sisters, it does not stop there. If you go on reading through the Bible, who was and always was an enemy of Israel that they had to deal with constantly? It was the Edomites, the, the descendants of Esau. They had it in for Israel. And they had it in so much so that when uh, Israel was making their way towards Canaan, they came up against the country where the, the Edomites were. And so they sent an ambassador ahead and they, they talked to the king whether they could come through their country. We're just going to stay on the highways. We're, if we use water from your wells, we're going to pay for it, so on and so forth. We're not going to do anything that you don't like. All we want to do is go through on this highway. And you know what? The Edomites forbid Israel to go through their country. No way are you going through our country. Why? I ask why. You know why? Because that bitterness between Esau against Jacob was never resolved in my mind. doesn't stop there. If you go to... Um, oh, I wrote a number of scriptures down that, that give reference to this. Psalm 137, where Edom spoiled Israel after the Babylonians conquered them. Here's another opportunity. Babylon came in here and fully destroyed uh, Jerusalem and... and uh, then they jumped, the Edomites jumped on the chance to just do some more harm and damage to Israel. Well, that, that's how bitterness works. Here's another opportunity to get even. Ezekiel 35 refers to their ongoing hatred and violence against Israel. Obadiah he speaks of God's promise to judge them for their arrogant pride. Jeremiah 49 brings out the 
God's hatred of Esau's offspring is based upon their hatred of him and Israel. Malachi of promises that they will be totally cut off and cease to exist as a people. Then you get into the New Testament. And what do we discover there? The family of the Herods. These are offspring of Esau, the Edomites. And you all know how terrible the Herods were. Herod even initiated the slaughter of the innocent children two years and under in Jerusalem in an attempt to cut off the uh, Jewish Messiah. One of the Herods beheaded John the Baptist. Another Herod persecuted the early church. Brethren, and sisters bitterness bitterness went from generation to generation until God completely cut them off and the Herods and all uh, were, were completely done away well I say the example of Esau demonstrates the seriousness of bitterness in an individual and to future generations thereafter. The unfolding story of Esau shows that the bitter root will always bear bitter fruit which defiles many. Bitterness in the home Bitterness in a neighborhood, bitterness in a community, bitterness in the church. It's an awful, awful thing. May we look diligently within and root out all bitterness. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. I say us. All of us. And may God give us a grace and may God help us to that end. Much more could be said in connection with this, but I trust we, we followed where I was going. And may God help all of us to be faithful and live lives that demonstrate the world around us that we have been with Jesus.